right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fair Game. My name is Ben Clymer. We have Eric Mayville here. Hey, Eric. Hello. <laughs> I like your hat today. Something different for you? <laughs> Thank you. Always, always a little something different on top of my head. So. <laughs> That's right. And uh, of course, Mr. Adam Scott. Adam, how are you? Morning. I'm great. And you guys? Doing good. Yeah, doing okay. Getting a slow start this morning, and I get to chat with you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a few of us just rolled out of bed. I know at least one of us did. Uh, the guy with the hair. <laughs> and our special guest today for this episode of Fair Game is Miss Ashley Mayo. She's the head of brand for 8 a.m. Golf and editorial director of Golf.com. So everything that you see on the wonderful website of Golf.com kind of comes through the hands of, of Ashley, and we are thrilled to have her here today. How are you, Ashley? Oh, I can't take that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> There is a, a team of wonderful people who really pump out the content at golf.com. Um, but I'm doing great. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, well that, that's, that's a perfect segue. Let, let's talk about it. So, so golf.com, I would say golf.com and, and golf magazine, obviously the other kind of pillar of the mainstream press would be golf digest. You guys kind of run, run the, the mainstream kind of golf media world, at least in the English speaking language. How did you get into that particular side of golf? Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about your background, but then also how do you feel things have changed since, since you've joined 8am and, and, and the golf team. Yeah, it's been so exciting. I joined 8am and golf magazine, golf.com almost three years ago, just about three years ago, which is crazy, right, Eric? Yes. <laughs> I remember that day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's crazy because I had spent 11 years at golf digest before that. Um, so I've been working in, in the media, the golf media uh, space for almost 15 years now. So it was nice to call me young, uh, the, to hear you call me young before. Very young, childlike. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I started working at Golf Digest a week after graduating college. Um, I went to the University of Virginia, played golf there competitively. I was kind of late to golf uh, when you compare myself to other college golfers. I picked up a club for the first time when I was 13, didn't really start playing until I was 14. Um, but for three years, I moved down to Miami from New York City in 10th grade. For, and, and for the rest of high school, I lived in Miami and I was just hooked to golf. Um, my sister, I have a twin sister, identical twin sister. Um, and we were both just range rats and we had each other, which is such a huge thing, I think, especially for female golfers um, to have like a playing partner and for, for you not to be feel so alone on the range. I think guys can tend to actually enjoy that, but women need that kind of social fun aspect um, and layer to the sport. So we had each other. We took lessons uh, together. We, we signed up for tournaments, and um, it was just a lot of fun. So we, we played at the University of Virginia. She became a doctor. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> And I was also pre-med for two years. And I remember calling my mom um, about two years into college. You know, my mom came from Cuba when she was a teenager, living this American dream, having her twin daughters go to UVA and become doctors. And she was very proud of that. But I called her about halfway through college and I said, you know what, mom, I don't know about this whole doctor thing. Like, I think I wanted, I took this media studies course and I really love it. Like I love media and I love English and I love writing. Um, I'm going to just major in English. They didn't have that major in media studies at the time. Um, 
and I'm going to, I'm going to write and, and just, uh, you know, be part of the radio station and, you know, really dive into this whole media thing. I just heard silence on the other end. <laughs> she was not very pumped about that, but she loves what I do now. And, um, and then a week later, I, or a week after graduating, I, uh, I joined the Golf Digest team. And when I joined Golf Digest, it was January, 2007. Um, there was one way to tell a story. It was print. Um, and that print product was your only point of communication with your consumer. Um, and in February, 2007, I remember Facebook starting to open up to like old people, meaning non-college kids. Right. Um, and I remember getting my first like Facebook request, friend request from a coworker. I was like, Ooh, this is weird. Like, <laughs> Um, and then I think Twitter also start launched February, 2007, if I remember correctly. Um, and then Instagram came about in 2011 and, and then the website started in that time to become more than just a place to sell subscriptions. Um, it became its own little entity over time. And so I started seeing this kind of digital revolution happening. And uh, went back to school part-time at Columbia to get my master's in digital journalism. Um, never leaving Golf Digest, but just kind of going at night and on Saturdays. Um, and I really learned a lot. Actually, That's the, in that classroom, I took the first class that they taught about Twitter at Columbia. Um, <laughs> and that's where I kind of signed up for at Golf Digest on Twitter. <laughs> With a professor, like, peering over my shoulder. <laughs> sure. Um, and and I just, it, it became like a volunteer thing for me to really launch their social platforms um, and, and you know, really think about the digital space there. And then over time, it became my full-time job there. Um, and it was really fun to see how impactful digital platforms could be for such a traditional brand. You know, Golf Digest had mm -hmm. been around for 50 years at the time and 60 years. And um, it was it was cool to inject or to help inject a little life into that brand. Um, and it became the number one site in golf. Um, and then I saw, you know, when I was there, we saw golf.com, the URL alone, golf.com is just priceless, you know, um, you really can't replace it, but we saw them kind of struggling a little bit. Um, they really hung their hat on news and they just wanted news, 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 like, you know, Adam Scott shoots, shoots 63 today or Adam Scott shoots 80 today. <laughs> yeah. no 80s. I was going to say good news, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> And it was always just reactive or it tended to be reactive. And um, when, when you fall into that trap, you get the quick hits for sure. Um, because people want to read about that, especially the negative stuff, which is unfortunate. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a second because we have done away with negativity. <laughs> we have left, we've decided to leave that to the other guys um, at golf.com. And and so when you do that and you become so reactive, first of all, you're at the mercy of what everyone is doing on tour and inside the ropes. Um, and second of all, you can't really build your own voice that way. You're just 
kind of regurgitating what everyone else is already writing about. Um, so when when Howard Milstein bought Golf Magazine and Golf.com in 2018, yes, it was 2018, February. Um, it was like, it was maybe fourth in a four-man race. Golf Digest was number one, PGA Tour, Golf Channel, and then Golf.com. Um, and it had so much potential to, to really escalate. And I think that's one of the beauties that he saw in it. Um, and his, his primary mandate was let's make this fun and positive. Let's make this a, you know, a place where golfers, everyday golfers can come to and get inspired and just learn how to love their passion. Uh, and so his mandate was positivity and we've seen how tremendous that can become and that can be. And also another mandate was just to really start publishing lifestyle content and arming golfers with service content and, and things that they can do um, to really enjoy themselves more, whether they're on the golf course or thinking about golf and preparing for a round or whatever. Um, our instruction content we've doubled down on and it generates like 30% more views and, and uh, consumption than any other kind of content that we put out um, and our style content, you know, we've doubled down on and people are loving that. And so by doing that, we get to create content on our own terms and not necessarily be at the mercy of what's happening um, inside the ropes. How, how would you say that's changed in Adam? Like, I don't, I'd love to hear now that we've got somebody from the media world and we've got Adam, like what the relationship is between you two um, and how the players and, um, you know, golf.com kind of feel about each other and interact with each other, I suppose. Be honest. <laughs> I was actually going to ask Adam if he's even noticed the difference because, <laughs> you know, this has been like a two and a half year um, journey for us so far. So I'm not sure even if it's like seeped in, into the ropes and, and players have noticed. Uh, well, as you can tell by the Earlier in this conversation, I'm not so digitally savvy. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> me navigating my way around the web is not very good. But even though I'm not uh, very having a strong presence digitally or or spending much time on it, because I have uh, kind of another job to do in practice and not out there looking too much. But, you know, I know when uh, golf.com was bought a few years ago and I've noticed a huge rebranding generally. Uh, even with uh, Golf Magazine as well. You can tell just by looking and it's a good move and even even the feel of the cover and all these things. Uh, it's a, there's been a definitely a, an aesthetic change and a style change. However, I don't uh, generally go through uh, for tips on instruction and things like that, so I'm not so aware. But Come on, we can help you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, though. There are a couple of pearls that come through occasionally, you know, that um, that some guys let out there. Um, but, you know, I've done a lot of work. I think I think I had more interaction with uh, the golf dot coms and, and golf digests of the world, actually, uh, back when probably you started and it was print. And I think you guys relied a lot more on us as pros at that point to get the content. We were doing photo shoots. We were doing a lot of interviews with you guys. Now it 
maybe because I've been shooting more 80s lately that uh, <laughs> I don't get the requests, but I do a lot less <laughs> these days. Or, guys, we can do our stuff ourselves a little bit as well. So there's a balance for sure, but the reach of golf.com, for example, is a lot bigger than Adam uh, Scott.com. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's changed a, a lot from me, you know, uh, and I generally have a very good relationship with all media and, and, uh, I'm, I like observing and seeing and hearing, hearing like the mandate of just positivity to me in the game of golf. That's what actually fair game is all about. We're talking about a lot, all the good things and not to be negative at all, but you know, I see a lot of negative stuff in the media and I just don't understand like golf is great generally. Of course we want to make it better, but I think we've got to get a bit deeper into, we have all these positive initiatives, but they, they don't get enough traction. It yeah. would be my criticism. And I, I think we all have good ideas, but we really need, you know, the backbone for these ideas. So it actually gets some traction as, as these programs are put in place. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who loves the game you have the passion for the game we all want to see that and i think the fr the one bit i get frustrated with is when we have ideas like grow the game this sounds fantastic but i don't think all the things are in place to do that uh down the chain uh to get more people in to actually grow the game uh, at a different rate than it's ever grown before which is just like this steady increase for 50 years yeah no i i couldn't agree more and Golf.com now has been the number one site in terms of traffic for 11, maybe 12 consecutive months, so a year. Um, and it proves that you don't have to rely on those negative stories and those quick hits to generate that kind of traffic. Um, if, if you just put a little effort into, um, first of all, staying positive, but rounding out your coverage uh, with a lot of service content and, and style and content that really golfers can use and, and consume um, and engage with, um, that's, it, it helps. It, it really is yeah. the winning formula. Um, and then, you know, tour pros don't feel so crappy about themselves when, when they read these <laughs> mega companies really getting hard on them. There's no, there's no upside to that. There really is none. Um, because what you guys do inside the ropes is ridiculous. And um, is there's no way that we could ever say here, our little keyboard warriors could ever say that it's anything less than superhuman, you know? So um, that that inspiration that we draw from inside the ropes, I, I think we're trying, we, we very much translate now to golf.com. And, and you mentioned Golf Magazine too. Yeah, that was a huge rebrand, again, supported by Howard Milstein. Um, the, the paper is heavier. The, the whole uh, experience of reading the magazine feels more premium. And um, I feel like that's what a magazine does now in this day and age. It's a beautiful extension of a brand. Um, it's no longer the centerpiece of the brand and like the only way to talk to a consumer. So that's, that's why he uh, doubled down in that um, premium and pro providing that premium quality. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. You guys have done, done a hell of a job really. And, you know, I don't mind the criticism of, uh, my play, you know, that's, that's what it is. I'm out there to post a result. And when I don't get the result, you know, that that's part of the 
job. And I think the big players in golf, and I don't just mean uh, tour pros, but the golf.coms, the USGAs, the RNAs, the PGA tours, these big organizations that have the big influence, there's got to be some accountability for their for their work in the game. It's not just pointing fingers at others and rolling along. Uh, and I think, you know, you've taken a great position in this positive uh, move and direction going forward is a really nice thing. Now, in some of the media, there has to be the analysts and the critics, and that's okay. I just don't listen. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, got, I get good at that. But I love seeing the positive moves. And, you know, I like, I like to challenge those those people uh, in these positions of influence to do a little better and go a little deeper. You know, it's nice mm-hmm. on the surface to grow the game. You know, I hear it all the time. But how? How can it happen? Because if people can't get in, it's really difficult. And I think we've got to explore those things more. And they're, they're um, big, big-time discussions, but lots of little things can make make a big difference. And you talked about style a little bit and seeing you're on here, I think we, we just recently talked to a men's fashion blogger uh, who's big into golf. And I think, you know, my mom is a golfer. She, she loves golf. Uh, but I think there's a huge element we're missing with the ladies in golf still oh, yeah. in, in many areas at clubs. You mentioned it before, like still a lot of this men's only area stuff. And, uh, but fashion is a huge thing. And the social aspect as well, I think is something that needs to get promoted if what good the game did, like you said, with your sister. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with fashion, it can often be seen as trivial and like, oh, whatever. She's just talking about Mm -hmm. that and it's not important. I think it's wildly important because if you can arm a golfer with feeling like himself or herself um, and feeling confident on the course, that it, it just goes such a long way. Um, and I think this, the clothes that they wear are a huge part of feeling comfortable and like yourself and confident mm. on the course. Uh, and I feel like a lot of golfers still think that you have to look like a golfer or dress like a golfer when you're playing golf. And it's like, no, no, you can borrow clothes from your everyday side of the wardrobe, everyday side mm-hmm. of the closet and wear them on the course. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to shop at, well, you know, Uniqlo, Uniqlo, uh, you don't have to shop at golf specific stores or brands to, to be a golfer. Um, yeah. so we've seen that our style content has really been popping lately. And I think it's because people are starting to realize that there is really less of a thing of a, like a golf uniform that's becoming less of a concept and yeah. it's more just feel like yourself on the course. Sure. There are some rules at some places that you have to follow, but you can still work within those rules to feel like yourself. So uh, I've, I've enjoyed that aspect of, or that changing aspect of golf. I've seen that become a thing over the last like decade, really. Yeah. And I think, you know, Ashley, I'll take my vantage point as I would say like the, the least golfy of all the golfers on this, uh, on the zoom call in that, you know, it was really like when we first met, that was really when I started to get back into golf. I played in high school, but really, you know, took 12 years off. It's nice to have friends like, like Adam and, and Eric and you for sure to get back into it. But the way that I look at, at golf is, is a little bit different. And it reminds me, 
not unsurprisingly, of the watch world 10 years ago, which is like, it really is this amazingly, it's, it's a wonderful thing, amazing social components, even physical health, mental health components of it, a whole world. But it, it feels like this little insular bubble, if I may say, and the watch world is exactly the same way. So is fashion, so is cars, so, so is everything. How do you, at 8 a.m. and at, at golf.com and magazine, figure out how to break out of that bubble and get new people in? And I can tell you how we did it at Hodinki early on, which was like, all right, what does John Mayer wear when he's on stage with the Grateful Dead? What type of watch does he wear? What, what watch does Roger Federer or Adam Scott wear when, he's, when he won the Masters? Which I actually just saw, I wrote that story in 2013 when you won the Masters, by the way, Adam, uh, which is full mm-hmm. circle for me. Um, but, you know, it really is like, you know, the, the hardcore community is like, oh, this is stupid. Roger Federer is a paid Rolex ambassador. You know, who cares that he's wearing that he's paid to do, but everybody else, and there are a lot more people that don't care about watches or golf in this case than do, are like, oh shit, like Roger Federer wears a Daytona when he wins Wimbledon. That's a really neat thing. How do you guys kind of look at, at, at bringing new people in from the outside? And what are the tricks that you guys use to, to kind of get people to the site and get people into the game? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And actually, 2013 Masters was the first Masters I went to as a reporter. <laughs> Oh, cool. There we go. Good. Good omens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited that whole week. And it was the first time I was at Augusta. And I was able to ask you a question, Adam, after you won in that big, you know, media room. And I was so new that they just said, the girl in the red hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the question that I asked ended up being the lead in most of the articles the next day. So I was very proud of myself. <laughs> oh, good. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, So that was fun. But I think um, over the last year, we've proven that, you know, we we generate 9 million uniques now a month. And so we've proven that we, and that's number one in in golf. Um, We've proven that, yes. Golf clap clap for you. Golf clap for the entire team. (laughs) I mean, really just an interjector, that is a massive number. I mean, that, that is as somebody that's in kind of a similar space, that is a huge number for sure. I mean, how many active golfers are there in the United States? Do you know? In the United States, it's about they, they always say twenty to twenty five million is. So is you have the basically half to a third of all the golfers reading your site. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty so amazing. it's it is, uh, and it's something that we're all super proud of. But we got to keep it moving, you know. We got to got to keep it going. But I think at this stage, two is now how do we engage those readers and those consumers um, with tangible uh, products? So we're now starting to sell. Um, pieces that we write about, much like you do at Hodinkee. Um, and we're starting to create content that they can be more interactive with and really um, kind of engage with. Uh, so that's 2.0. But going back to your question about how we introduce or kind of attract new people, I think it's it goes back to really doubling down on that service content. Um, news will always be um, very important and and reporting on the news will always be an important element of the overall golf.com landscape, but it certainly can't be even the most important one. Um, we, by, by writing about instruction and travel and, and style and all these elements that make golf such a lifestyle. Um, you know, a golfer plays golf for maybe 5% of his or her life, like on a golf course, but thinks about golf, like 90% of <laughs> his or her life sure. dreams about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do we feed those 
parts of their lives. Um, and that's what we're, we're really seeing is not only engaging uh, new golf or current golfers, but it's actually attracting new people. Um, we saw during COVID in 2020, you know, there was a surge in people playing golf because it was such a safe thing to do outside. Um, and I think our pivot to service and lifestyle um, happened maybe three months before all this COVID, you know, COVID became a thing. And it couldn't have been better timing because the PGA Tour took 13 weeks off. And boom, if we had relied on just news, we would have been screwed. Uh, but because we already started this uh, trend of really doubling down on all things other than news, uh, we found ourselves actually in the best spot ever because now new people were Googling, what should I wear to play golf? Or how do I set up to a ball? Or, you know, it, it, they were just, you know, so intrigued by the sport that was safe. And we were feeding them that um, those answers to the questions that they had. Um, so I guess it's not been, you know, one magic thing that we did, but more of a, a confluence of, you know, different aspects. And I, I think they all stem back to forgetting or not hanging our entire hats on, on news and reporting on what's happening inside the ropes, still doing that, but making that you know, simply a vertical among many verticals that we offer. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, it, it definitely does. I mean, it, it definitely does. And what have you found to be, you know, thinking back on, on, let's say the past three months or maybe just, you know, this year, what, if you can share, was the most popular story that you guys have published on golf.com? Like what just like worked? And, you know, it's so, there's like this like internet magic that is so hard to kind of like bottle up and, and, and replicate, but I'm curious what just like really sung to your audience. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I would be talking out of turn if I just said this one, because I don't sure. know for sure, but I, I know trends. Um, and so our instruction editor, Luke Curdenine, is kind of a master of, you know, if someone if someone does something either amazing or not so amazing inside the ropes, he's able to deconstruct that and spin it in a way that makes it very useful for a reader. So let's say, you know, Adam makes an albatross. <laughs> um, there, we yes. there we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, let's say Adam makes an albatross. Luke is able to spin that story in five different ways to say, okay, here's, here's the swing that, you know, made a two on a par five and how you can replicate or try to replicate that at home. Or, um, you know, here's the hole also that, and, and talks about like architecture and design and all those things where he's able to, um, you know, look at that news story and present it in a way that is, uh, first of all, present it five different ways, and also in ways that are really, really interesting and intriguing as a reader, because everyone else is just presenting the news story. Um, also, if someone, you know, four putts on, on a hole, um, he's able to, you know, deconstruct why that happens and present that in three to five different ways. And in ways that actually feel useful to a consumer. Those stories really pop. Um, and then there's no doubt that Tiger still, <laughs> he still, you know, moves the needle. Just recently, 
when Rory uh, talked about hanging out with Tiger recently and um, revealed some, you know, surprises post car accident, that article um, really did really pop. So Tiger definitely is still an intriguing force in the game um, as he should be. And, and yeah, I think the service pieces that offer insight beyond reporting the news and then a handful of, of players still do um, move the needle. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the idea behind fair game is really to kind of celebrate the, the game and get more people excited about it. And obviously you, you have worked for, you know, two of the biggest names in, in golf media, but as somebody that, that kind of created his own media space in, in, an, in a similar kind of vertical, I'm interested, and if you can share, who you think is doing it really well on the independent scene? You know, who are the bloggers? Who are the Instagrammers, the YouTubers that you think are really changing the landscape? And maybe even that you guys look to at golf.com, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, and say like, hey, like these guys are, are doing good stuff. We should, we should kind of follow that model. Is there anybody? Oh, gosh, yes. There's lots of people. I I'm a firm believer that, you know, the golf media landscape, much like probably watches and, and most media landscapes are these wonderful little ecosystems. And in an ecosystem, you need multiple players, right, who feed off each other and who provide different things. Um, that's any ecosystem. That's their cornerstone. And so all these different voices in golf, um, I, I one of my pet peeves is for anyone to think that another voice doesn't matter or another voice just because it's different is dumber <laughs> or, you know, anything like, or inferior. Um, it's such a pet peeve because, you know, first of all, we talk about like to Adam's point, being more inclusive and wanting to grow the game. And then we as media tend to attack each other um, when the other person is saying either different things or has a different perspective. Um, so, in, you know, in turn, I, I tend to celebrate the, the bar stools of the world. I think sure. that what, what Riggs and Trent are doing at Foreplay are, is awesome. Um, it's, it's definitely not, you know, premium <laughs> or <laughs> elevated, but they have an audience, you know, and, and that audience loves golf. And so why wouldn't we celebrate what they're doing and, and, and the audience that they're talking to? If it, you know, means more people tuning into golf coverage um, and, and just paying attention to golf as a sport. So I think that they're they're doing a, a great job with their podcasts and their videos. I think they turn around content faster than most, um, maybe the fastest in all of golf media. Um, and then also what No Laying Up did with their podcast um, and their Twitter presence, I think, um, early on. Uh, is is tremendous and they were just kind of common guys who had other jobs um, and loved golf on the side and now work in golf full-time and I think you know kudos to to everything they're doing um who else oh Eric Anders Lang I, I, yeah you could you you know him Ben <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. and, and I'm awesome. sure sure Adam and Eric uh, yeah. know, know him or of him. Uh, yeah. I think the videos, the, the, the things that he's uncovered around the world in terms of how people play golf and what people think about golf around the world with his adventures in golf series um, is super interesting and fascinating. You know, when he played golf with just an iron stick um, it, it, on the streets, uh, it, it was just like really cool to see 
that version of a game that we play so differently here in the in the United States. Um, so yeah, I, there's there's a, a bunch of like independent players who uh, are shaping the golf media landscape uh, and really enriching it. Whereas before, you know, it was Golf Digest or Golf Magazine. Um, now we have this like beautiful and now fair game. <laughs> now we have this beautiful mix of players who are each providing their own perspectives. And I think it's it's never really been more exciting to be in golf media. How do you think things have, have, have changed? I mean, obviously there's the, the the obvious stuff where like when you when you created the Golf Digest Twitter account at, at your Columbia Journalism School, shout out to Columbia. Um yeah. you know, class, like yeah, that 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 you know, obviously the entire world has changed since then. But how do you guys look at at social as as kind of a feeder or kind of brand building moment for for golf versus the the dot com? Do you use that as a funnel or is it a totally separate entity? Both. The answer to that is definitely both. Uh, I think in the beginning, it, it was very much a funnel. And especially like the sales guys would be like, how are we making money on this? You know, <laughs> totally, yeah. like Twitter's great. <laughs> Facebook's great. Instagram's great. But where's, you know, the profit? And I would always be like, no, no, no. It's not necessarily a direct profit play. It can be. Now it is. At the time, it really wasn't. Um, it's just a, an extension. It's just another platform. It's another touch point to a consumer. Um, and I think that consumer generally, depending on the platform is slightly, is interested in slightly different things. Um, we see that the Twitter user is more interested in news and real time updates. We see that the Instagrammer is really uh, just from golf.com's point of view is really interested in, um, instruction, instruction videos tend to really do well. Um, and you know, more beautiful moments. Um, and, and so we, and then newsletter also email for us has been, um, we changed that strategy about a year ago, uh, and it's been tremendous. And, uh, the, the newsletter kind of entity for what we, or platform, uh, as part of our landscape, not only is a place to drive back traffic, but just to, uh, on its own, um, inform the consumer. So I think with all these platforms and extensions of the brand, um, we treat them very much as places to drive back traffic. Maybe that's 20, 30% of the time. Mostly they're there. We treat them as their own little magazines. Um, so Instagram, we never assume that our Instagram followers also land on golf.com or also follow us on Twitter or also read the magazine. We just want to treat Instagram as its own little mini magazine that uh, feeds those consumers all the information they need to know. Same with all the other platforms. So yeah, it's it's been a really cool thing to see evolve over the years because they very much did begin as go back to golf.com or subscribe right. to golf magazine. <laughs> um, and now it's, they're their own entities. So golf.com is, is owned by 8am golf, which, you know, as, as you know, many of our listeners are relative newbies. What, what is 8am golf and what exactly do you do? Yeah. 8am golf is, is if you don't know what it is, that's fine. It's not meant to be a consumer facing brand. Uh, it's a holding company that owns and operates seven different golf companies. And golf magazine, golf.com is one of them. Um, True spec, 
Mira, Nicholas Companies, Golf Logics. Those are some of the others. Uh, and it's really cool because if you look at the landscape of companies under 8 a.m. golf, uh, they really touch golfers before, during, and after their rounds. Uh, you have TrueSpec getting golfers ready and geared up for their round. You have Golf Logics telling golfers how far away hazards are or, or uh, the hole is or whatever while they're playing. Um, and then hopefully you have Golf.com kind of helping them figure out why they can't make those putts <laughs> or, you know, how to, how to dress for the, for the rounds or whatever. Um, so the landscape is really cool. Um, Howard Milstein is the, the founder of 8am, the chairman. And uh, like I mentioned before, his big mandate is positivity. He sees a great, beautiful escape in golf and he wants to share that escape. Um, and he wants to make golfers feel pumped about teeing it up. Um, and, and so that's what we're doing across the companies is we're sell, we're, we're helping golfers have more fun. And, and our motto is it's, it's a great day to play. So it's just always a great day to play and to tee it up. Um, and, and his big thing was just, I want to hire nice people. I want to hire connected people and smart people. <laughs> and so. Oh. Yeah. And so now the team at 8am is about, there's about eight or 10 of us. Um, and we really work together to, to make sure that the companies, that each of the companies is living that promise of, of helping golfers just to have a blast. That's great. And, you know, as, as a media guy, you know, you always have, or I always have that dream project that said, man, if I could just get so-and-so to sit down with so-and-so, it would just set the, the world ablaze. What, what is that project for, for you at, at golf.com? Oh. I can't, well, this is more an 8 a.m. project. Um, and maybe when this pod, this episode lands, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, a, a cool, a very cool announcement is going to come out where we're partnering with, you know, a celebrity who has a worldwide footprint. Um, and he's very into golf and he's very passionate about sharing his passion. Um, and we're working on a few projects that uh, I think are really going to get golfers jazzed, but also non-golfers interested. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be a number, it's going to have a number of factors to it, but um, that's the cool project that we're working on now. And I would also say that um, more tangibly, something that I can actually talk about <laughs> is um we see a lot of power in merchandise right now. And I know you saw that too, Ben, and you continue to see it. So I'm, I'm not really going to say anything that you haven't, you don't already know, but uh, people love that exclusive limited edition drop of goods. Um, and we've been dabbling in that at golf.com with our pro shop uh, over the last several months. Now our first exclusive limited edition drop, uh, was around the masters in 2020, November. Um, and it was around Jack Nicholas and his golden bear line. And, uh, we made some hats and, uh, shoe bags and blankets and, and just a, a, a number of items that celebrated that golden bear and Jack. And obviously he's Mr. Masters. He's won more masters than any golfer ever has. Um, and that just sold out in a day. You know, it, we we bought kind of deep into the, the line, thinking that it would sell well. 
Um, but we should have bought deeper. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's always the way. Yeah. And, and I, to this, in the last like three weeks, I've seen two people here in Nashville wear some of those products, just the hats. And it gets me so excited to see people wearing something that I designed. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's a really cool feeling. Um, even though I know they're supporting Jack and not me, <laughs> uh, but, but they love that. And so we're, we've been exploring that ever since. And I think that's going to become a, a really big uh, cornerstone for us in the future is, is that arming golfers with merch that they just love to wear um, and feel jazzed about. And I think, again, that can seem trivial, um, but it is actually one of the most uh, important and fastest ways to feel really confident on the course is if you love what you're putting on your body, um, you're probably going to play better <laughs> and, and enjoy yourself at least uh, out there. So merch has been um, a, a big topic of uh, discussion for us and I think is is just uh knows no bounds. Yeah. I mean, obviously I've, I'm a, a big believer in the content to commerce model. I mean, yes. you know, we, we have seen very little, very vocal, but very minimal pushback on this idea that like, if you, if, if say Jack Forrester, who's kind of the godfather in the watch writing world, writes a story about an Omega and then you buy that Omega from Hodinkee, like we clearly make money on that. Like there's, there's no, we're not hiding that. Of course, we're, we're proud of that. Have you received any pushback from your audience saying like, wait a minute, like golf's writing about this, whatever. Uh, and all of a sudden they're making money. Is there any pushback at all from your audience on that? Or do people really not, not seem to mind? Um, I haven't seen pushback. I think as long as you're genuine and authentic and really love the pieces that you're writing about, um, and, and also you're clear about, okay, golf.com may make an affiliate commission or golf.com did create this line of merch and is making money off any sales <laughs> that, that it, uh, if you're just very transparent about that, but I think first and foremost, genuine about your love of the products that you're making and promoting, um, it's a service to a reader. And it's a service that I think in this day and age is becoming expected you know, with, with influencers, uh, in, in just on Instagram, for example, or wherever, um, you, it, it's people now follow, except for Adam. I know he doesn't follow any Instagrammers, <laughs> but, um, people now follow certain people for their recommendations and they trust that voice to tell them this, you know, this blouse is the most comfortable softest blouse and so stretchy or this watch is you know whatever um that now they're expecting that from the traditional media companies too and um we've seen that it's it's actually um very welcomed for us to give to offer our recommendations and they do take that and run with it now we have to be careful and continue to be authentic and genuine as I think as soon as you start promoting products simply because the company pays you to do so and you don't truly believe in it, um, that's, I, you're dead. You're totally dead. Um, and, and so we're, we're never going to do that. And, and I, I think uh, for that reason, it's only going to grow. That space is only going to get stronger. 
Yeah. And I, I think, you know, one question that, and then we'll kind of wrap up that I think kind of has to be asked is, you know, golf is such a conservative game in, in every, every meaning of the word. Uh, you are a, a young woman in media and golf. Has it been, have you experienced, uh, we'll say troublesome or, or kind of like concerning moments along your career uh, or has, has the, the game really opened up to you? Yeah, I think the game has really opened up to me. Um, I've always kind of considered being a female in a male-dominated industry a, a blessing and um, a tool because, you know, I think that as soon, I, I think the spotlight is more on females to to behave a certain way and to, you know, do things a certain way. Um, but I think as long as we act professionally and love what we do and take our jobs seriously, it's actually beneficial <laughs> to be a female and part of a, a minority group in an industry dominated by, by men. Um, and, and so that, that's always been, I've considered it an asset. Um, you know, it's interesting having grown up with an, an identical twin, you know, you get a lot of like stares and <laughs> uh, you kind of do stick out from the crowd already. Um, I think because of that, I've always been very good at just having little blinders on, or maybe it's a New Yorker thing, you know, growing up in <laughs> sure. Manhattan, you just have tunnel vision. Totally. Um, and, and so I think I still have that in, in golf. So I don't know, there, there could be pushback or, or, or kind of some hurdles that I have faced because I am a female, but I haven't, I've been blind to them. Um, I haven't really paid them any attention and, Instead, I tend to focus on how awesome it is to be a female in this space that uh, really should have more females. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's it's just uh, mostly been a joy and a pleasure for me. Amazing. Ashley, thank you so much for, for joining us here on, on Fair Game. And, and for everyone, please follow along uh, uh, Ashley on Twitter and Instagram. We'll link up in, in the show notes on that. Thank you so much. Thank you for creating Fair Game. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for having me. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Adam. And that concludes another episode of Fair Game, the podcast with champion golfer Adam Scott. Be sure to hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow along on YouTube and Instagram at Fair Game Golf. We'll be back next week with another episode featuring another young voice looking to change the game of golf for the better.